Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Napoli is a club that their head office had to release a statement to the people of Naples, which more or less said, could you please stop robbing the wives and girlfriends of Napoli players? the Talking Texas podcast. What's up? My name's Daniel. Hello, I'm Carl Anker. Uh, we do this every Tuesday. If you can follow us on Twitter, that'd be dope. At Talking Tactics. Instagram, Talking Tactics. Carl, talk to us about Facebook. Uh, we are on Talking Tactics on Facebook, but we've only got about 20 followers. So if you could follow us, that'd be great because it'd help us go up the, the search function as well. Should we use Facebook anymore, really and truly? I'm going to keep it ticking. I should probably keep it ticking more often than I do, but, you know, life, yeah? I don't know, I've just been reading stuff about Facebook. It's not good. Uh, follow us on SoundCloud. That'd be dope as well. Um, if you feel like leaving Apple Podcast reviews, that'd be great. All the links are in the description, by the way. We got one Apple Podcast review, five stars. I believe this was from the UK. Um, it says, great cohesion from a guy called Tezki. Perhaps, maybe, possibly. Uh, big up to you guys for keeping the content informative yet full of humor. Love how diverse the opinions are, even though Triple H, I think you meant Double H, can be a bit far right at times. Okay. Keep up the good work, and I'm an avid listener. So thank you for that five-star review, Teski. You know what? I believe in the January episode, like our first episode back, you were like, okay, what do we think is going to be some things that happen in football this year that uh, people might not expect? And I think half hope. I stole half hope's idea, if I remember this correctly. Uh, I was like, Wigger's going to leave at the end of the season. All right, that's a nice little diversion. Dan, yeah. what is your uh, prediction for 2018? Okay, I will save my World Cup. I already gave my World Cup prediction, so I don't think that would be. And plus, that's not a big one. Something I think that could happen that no one expects. I think Arsene Wenger... Oh, no! <laughs> you stole mine! You stole mine! Oh, my God! How could you steal... Oh, you bastard, man. We've been doing this too long. We think alike. <laughs> I think Arsene Wenger will leave Arsenal at the end of the season. <laughs> oh, really? I, I think the pressure will get to him. I, I, I think they're going to miss top four. I think they're not going to win a trophy because I think either Manchester City or Chelsea will win the League Cup. You know, they're already out of the FA Cup that we saw. <laughs> they lost to, you know, Nottingham Forest B team. Theo Walker is garbage. <laughs> it's the hair. He like he, he messed with his own magic. I don't know what his hair is. Yeah, I just, I, I feel like th- it's going to come to a head. I feel like this is the time where Arsene Wenger is going to decide. I love the club so much that I feel like I've taken it as far as it can go. And that's my big prediction. That's what I think could happen in, in 2018. I feel like we'll see the end of of the Wenger era at Arsenal, and I don't, I don't, I don't remember our consensus on that. Whether we thought it was plausible or not, I guess Half Hope did. I don't remember what you thought. Um, it's happened. Arsene Wenger, I believe, was this Friday. Um, right, Friday morning, but this uh, GMT Friday morning on four twenty, it was announced. <laughs> uh, Messi, Arsene, and uh, Arsene Wenger has pledged his love and support always to Arsenal football fans, and he's going after twenty two years as the manager the figurehead the heart and soul of arsenal football club arsene wenger's retired and well i say retired arsene wenger will not be continuing with arsenal football club anymore Mm. um it feels like a retirement but there have been murmurs that he might be connected to real madrid to psg to the france team to the france national squad to the england national squad to saint george's complex Wenger might be in a footballing job next season, but the footballing job will not be as manager of Arsenal Football Club. You you felt kind of I felt melancholy through the texts. Like I was emotionally you know, bereft. It's like a, a death in the Premier League family in a way or something like that. Is, is that how you're feeling? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Emotionally bereft. I feel very strongly about Wenger, and I think you know, first of all, he's a very nice man and one of the last 
of a kind. He's going to be. He's the last long-term manager you ever see in world football, I think. So at least Premier League football, like you're not going to see a manager last more than ten years in football, let alone twenty-two. He's, by all accounts, a wonderful human being, very loving, very caring. He dedicated himself to Arsenal Football Club for twenty-two years. When he came, you know, we talked about on this podcast about how I was very afraid that he might not be long for this world if he leaves Arsenal Football Club. <laughs> um, because, you know, after after Ferguson announced his retirement, there's that press conference where they said, when are you going to retire, Wenger? And Wenger said, Ferguson has horses. I have nothing. All Wenger has is football. When he came to England from Japan, his daughter had just been born and now his daughter is graduated university. And I think he wasn't present for all of the graduation ceremony because he was looking after Arsenal Football Club. You know, in the last two or three years, his wife pretty much put him at arm's length because she said she can't be number two to Arsenal Football Club anymore. This is a man who, when he celebrated one his more recent birthdays, he went to a press conference after a game and the journalist asked him how would he be celebrating his birthday. And he goes, oh, I'll probably watch a Bundesliga 2 football game. The journalist <laughs> said, please take some time off. He goes, oh, don't worry. I'll put some candles on top of the TV or something. This is a man who lives and breathes football and for the last 22 years has dedicated himself to an ideal and his great life's work will go unfinished. Barring something lovely happening in the Europa League, he will not get the ending that he deserves. He has spent the last five years, 10 to five years, being roundly mocked. And I I won't lie, I've been part of the people who've laughed at him. Uh, And yeah, this one really hit me hard. It, this one goes beyond football. Arsene Wenger is a man who lives and breathes football, but him no longer being in football speaks a lot more to football and more about what you do in your life with work and how you can connect with people and how and what happens next. And I, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be ready for when it's August and Arsenal Football Club have someone new in a dugout. A lot of people my age, and I'm saying this as a man in his mid to late twenties used words like dad or uncle when referring to Wenger because, or I've used terms like Wenger is all I've known since mm. I've been a football fan. Uh, 22 years. That is, that's an adult. Wenger, yeah. Wenger's daughter is now an adult. She was recently, she was born when he came to England and now she's an adult. Um, uh, and I'd like to say something greater and more articulate than that, but it's still not sunk in and I'm still in uh, somewhere in between shock and grief. I'm impossibly sad about this. It was definitely the time to go. If you look at the reports, the writing was pretty much on the wall once this season when the former Borussia Dortmund gentleman was put in charge of recruitment. So Wenger was no longer in charge of transfers. And, you know, the new recruits, Aubameyang and Mkhitaryan, Dortmund players who seem to be moving to a new style of football for Arsenal, which seems to be going very, very well. And all reports seem to indicate that this summer... Well, the board basically made it very clear to Wenger that he would not be manager past the summer due to his inability to even come close to qualifying for the Champions League. So he could respectfully leave or he would be sacked. And it seems as if Wenger chose to to go out his own way, which makes me happy and sad. He absolutely should not be in a job. Arsenal are underperforming based on their wage bills and, and football has somewhat passed Wenger by. But also... Wenger deserves more. I, I, I can't reconcile those two feelings. One, I hate the word deserve in football. I hate um, the word deserve in all things, but bloody hell. Wenger doesn't, Wenger doesn't deserve anything in that way. Like He was well paid for his work over the course of his 22 years. And if the results don't match what you're being paid and what, you, what the expectations are for your work, I think Arsenal, high, Arsenal's hierarchy was, is well, in their, well within their rights to be like, look, You've had a good run, but I think we need to go in a new direction. So him deserving, oh, he deserves another year, he deserves another this, another that, I don't necessarily go with that. I was sad for another reason, because this might actually make Arsenal good. And I kind of like the whole Benta era Arsenal only, like, reaching for top four. Like, they have players on their team. I mean, they need work. I think Mm. all teams need work. Um, You know, they need a new goalkeeper. They need at least two new center backs. They need... Uh, a left back, perhaps, although Montreal has been pretty good. We don't know the Bellerin situation. You have Jacques in midfield. I think uh, Wilshire's contract still isn't resolved. Like, there's a whole bunch of things going on at Arsenal, but so they need work. But uh, there's something about Arsenal that you feel like if the right person comes in and they're given enough money, they can compete for top four, which I don't think anyone really expected them to make top four this year. 
So it was a top six, but not really. It was just the five teams instead of Arsenal. Mm. And, I, and I feel like a new manager can come in, whether it's – see, this is another thing with Arsenal. This would kind of expand the banter era in a way. They've never had to hire a manager. As you said, he's been there for 22 years. He's basically – he's overseen everything and everyone. He's outlasted owners. He's outlasted technical directors. He's outlasted everyone, right? So nobody there has ever had to hire a manager, which is why I'm kind of curious. The names I've seen mentioned, whether it's Patrick Vieira, uh, Mikel Arteta, um, Luis Enrique, if they hire one of those three, I'm not sure that helps them any. Very interesting you mentioned about the next Arsenal manager, what happens to Arsenal next. While, you know, it's not the greatest metric for what will happen in the future of football, uh, but generally speaking, if you play football manager long enough, so if you're, if you're playing football manager this season and you take up to 2025, what usually happens is Arsenal, you know, Wenger retires, Arsenal get a new manager and Arsenal shoot right up the Premier League table and they become a heavy hitter in Europe. Largely because the next manager starts spending money with reckless abandon, whereas Wenger, you know, was very much about not accruing too much debt, um, no financial doping, as you would say, whereas, you know, whoever comes next is very much not of that uh, idealistic nature. Yeah. What should happen? And everything I'm saying now is coloured with the please do not get this wrong in the same way Manchester United Manchester United got this wrong. Why are we wishing success on our Arsenal car? <laughs> do must we do this? Like because because the <laughs> the Premier League is the Premier League is healthier when Arsenal are competing for the title. The Premier League is is healthiest when there are more teams competing for the title than no teams competing for the title. We've just been through a season where I feel as if quite a few of these episodes have been us being quite unhappy with the fact that City ran away with it. Um, so if you can have more rivals for the title, the better. But not Arsenal, though. Like, it's oh, Arsenal. Like... I know, I know. Um, so uh, what Arsenal need to make sure is the next person they hire should not be the person for the long-term goal. You want a nice little palate cleanser. Someone to get in, clear some dead wood, go... This is what we want to do for two seasons. And then hopefully, blah, 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 blah. You get your long-term man after that. And when the long-term person comes in, you give them the car keys and you probably let them create their vision and build stuff in their model. So the next season, like the next season for Arsenal is going to be weird regardless. So if it's going to be weird, you may as well have someone there who's not going to be there for too much, like too long. Um, so friend of the podcast, Mike Goodman said, what you want is you want Ancelotti in for two years. And then you want to go out, go out and get your your Jardim or your Tuchel or your like young manager who wants to completely do a root and branch reform of your football club. Um, and I agree with that. I think I think go out and get your Gus Hiddink or your Ancelotti or your Allegri. You just your short term fixer. Gus Hiddink. He's, he's good. <laughs> he works for you, doesn't he? <laughs> Not Goose Hitting, Carl. No, 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 no. Do you know what Arsenal fans would do if they hired Goose Hitting or Brendan Rodgers? Brendan Rodgers is interesting because Brendan Rodgers... I, I feel like they would deconstruct the Emirates Stadium brick by brick. <laughs> Brendan Rodgers is an interesting one because I don't think Brendan would be as... He, right, he wouldn't be as good as people think he'd be, but I wouldn't think he'd be as bad as people think he'd be as well. I think Rodgers would be more of like a modern Wenger like a modern store brand Wenger, if that makes sense. Like if you get Rodgers in, you'll be competing for top four again. You have some very interesting players, but also you, I don't think Rodgers has quite figured out how to sustain both a domestic and a European campaign yet, which I think is it was very similar to Wenger. Um, I agree to a point where they need somebody to come in. Uh, what, what did you call it? Like a palate cleanser in that way? They just yeah. need somebody to come in and steady things, and then you get your next guy. And I was thinking... You have Tedesco from Schalke. You have uh, Nagelsmann from Hoffenheim, I believe. Young up-and-coming managers or maybe the Bundesliga or, you know, you have Di Francesco from, from Roma. Maybe that's someone you could go for in a couple of years. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I think An Ancelotti kind of makes sense, although Ancelotti isn't really a tactician in that way. He's kind of Italian vigor in a way, just better, in that he has a really good rapport with his players and – I don't see that Arsenal team having natural-born leaders in it to where if something's going wrong, the players know what to do. I don't know if Ancelotti necessarily coaches his players to, okay, if things are going wrong, this is what you do. He kind of fosters a good energy, a good vibe in the team, and that translates 
onto the pitch when you have players who are capable of playing well. I don't know if this Arsenal team necessarily has that capability to kind of play well without some tactical reconfiguration in that way. Yeah. They, 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 they need someone in there who's going to be like, Xhaka, stay put. Ozo, I need you to boss the game. Like, mm. Ramsey, don't be going too far into the box. Like, we need you to run back on D. Like, Bellerin, I know you like to get forward, but this game we need to keep it tight at the back. They need somebody who's actually giving them tactical instruction, which is why I look at someone like Allegri, perhaps even someone like Antonio Conte, if they could make that happen. Like, I feel like that would be a good... To see th those managers like Allegri and Conte, they're not going to come in and be like, okay, I'm only going to take this job for a year or two. I feel mm. like they'd actually want to be there for a long time. But then again, we look at things and the kind of trajectory of how managerial appointments work. You're not going to get a guy at Arsenal who's going to be there for 10, 15 years. As, as we say, that's dead. As, as we maybe see with Pep, as we see with Mourinho, the lifespan of managers is two, three, four years, five years max. So yeah. maybe so maybe it is worth it to get someone in now who's a big name because they're not going to last that long. Very, very interesting point. Uh, talking to Greg Johnson, uh, friend of the podcast, uh, editor-in-chief of football.london. He says, basically, you can't wait. Football doesn't wait in the same way that football manager waits, where you can just wait for a player to develop mm. at another club. And then when he turns 21, then you go buy him. If you can buy him at 18, buy him at 18 and, and figure out what to do later on. Um, so, the, you know, the, the often used line was in 2013, Ancelotti was available, Mourinho was available. There was a myriad of managers available. Manchester United went for David Moyes. <laughs> um, and it, it might be a similar one now yeah. where, you know, there could be two or three good I can't managers. I believe y'all did that. <laughs> there, there could be two or three good managers coming out, especially this is a world, yeah. you know, we can say this too, too many times in this podcast. This is a World Cup year. And... You, you, low, Joachim Low would be perfect. This is the World Cup year, and something very interesting is the transfer window shuts before the season starts. Ooh, so whoever point. comes in needs to come in and start moving quickly. Yeah. So, one final question: uh, Just guess what do you think Arsenal should be aiming for next season? Do you think they're aiming for top four? Um, do you think they're aiming for the cups? Do you think they're aiming for title challenges? I would assume. Or I would presume that their targets would just to be get back in top four and just see some level of improvement in terms of the way that they play. Knowledgeable football, if that makes sense. Yeah. Rather than just headless chicken, do what do what thou wilt football. Nah. I I don't think Arsenal fans are gonna be like, yo, let's this is our time to win the league. Like I think most Arsenal fans are knowledgeable to know that the team needs work. Same same way with Chelsea. Like next season, if a new manager comes in, it, it's not going to be let's win the league. It's just going to be get us back in top four, and you know hopefully sustain something in in Europa League because I don't think we're going to make top four. So I feel like we're in similar boats in that way. But as I was saying before, this Arsenal hierarchy has never had to hire a manager. Mm -hmm. Chelsea have hired ninety seven managers. It seems like so. <laughs> I feel like we're probably in better stead to find the next guy. Before we get off this topic, because I think we've talked about this enough. Yeah. Um, what's your favorite Wenger memory? There's two. The first one would just be the Invincible season. I think that in terms of like teams, like that team accomplishment, I don't think anybody's ever going to do that again. Like City have all the records <laughs> this season, like goals, goal difference, uh, points. They're going to get all that. But there's just something about going unbeaten that I think is is really cool. And yeah, I don't think anybody's ever going to do that. In terms of just Wenger himself and not necessarily team moments, I'm going to remember like him slamming water bottles. <laughs> um, I'm going to remember him not being able to zip his coat. Um, I'm going to remember like um, in press conferences where they ask him, yo, was it a penalty? He's like, I, I did not see the replay. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen it. Um, when, when they ask him about like, uh, yo, Cristiano's great, Messi's great, Drogba's great, Ibrahimovic is great. And he's like, yeah, I could have signed them, but I didn't. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to remember that. Obviously, the fuse with, with Mourinho. Like, the, the moment where he pushes Mourinho on the on the touchline, that's probably in my head the most. Just where, like, his tie goes flying and stuff like that. So, uh, there's just little things about Wenger that you like. As you say, like, we're, we're the same age. So, Wenger, it's – I used to think – in my ignorant young days, like Arson, Arsenal, I thought it was named after him in some weird way, or they yeah, hired him because I, that was his I, name. I, I like people thought that as well. Yeah, like it, he's just uh, a mainstay. So it is going to be weird, 
but I don't like the kind of, I don't know, the over sentimentality. Like we get why he was sacked. Like since 2006, since they lost that Champions League final, and maybe was it 2007 or 2008 where they had a decent title chance? Um, and then was it uh, Eduardo broke his leg? What year was that? Eduardo breaks his leg. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. Since, since since then, I mean, he should have been sacked from time. Um, so I get why he's sacked, and I don't need to get over sentimental, but I am gonna miss him in a way because he is, as you say, like an uncle father figure, like Papa Venga, Uncle Venga, like you know, it it is what it is, and it's it's, but it's not like he's dead. And no, I, and, and as I keep saying, when Deschamps messes up this World Cup, because I know he's going to, even though I'm gonna pick France to win it, does it? Easy, you just walk into the French team. It's easy. Is Wenger an improvement? Is the is the is a big question because over Didier Deschamps. Yes, yeah. I mean, he is. But is is Wenger, is Wenger going to be the manager to take France to a Euros and a World Cup final and win? I don't know anyone. How old is Wenger? He's 68. He turned 69 68. in October. If he's in his late 60s, then I, I feel like he, he could have a World Cup cycle in him to, to manage the French team. I feel like that's just a natural fit. Like, you're involved with the game. You still get to go watch football. You get to watch good teams normally. Um, it's the French team. He always has good relationships with French players. Although I do suspect he's going to get bored if he I does could, that. I could see him in youth football. I could see him. I would really like to see him at St. George's and basically the FA go change how young people play football. You're in charge of every academy under the age of 14 and he just works with youth footballers. Oh. I could see him being, yeah, just head of an academy at Real Madrid or in somewhere in the Gulf. If he's that way inclined, or you could always go back to Japan. So thank you, Mr. Wenger. I was at Arsenal for West Ham one, and it didn't quite feel like a wake, but it did. It took a while to get going. Before we get to Champions League, we can do the PFA Player of the Year because official Harrison asked us we should talk about the PFA Player of the Year. How do you feel about Salah winning it above Kevin De Bruyne? It's splitting hairs. Uh, Salah's had a fantastic season. I picked him to be signing the season and. Uh, I I thought he'd be good. Mm-hmm. I had no idea he'd be this fantastic. Um, I remember coming near the, near the start of the season after the four one defeat to Spurs, where I said when Salah figures out how to finish, he's going to be amazing. And then he figured out how to finish and was even better than I thought he'd be. Um, but I also I I find Kevin De Bruyne one of the best things in life. <laughs> Not. Like not not just in football. Kevin, like watching Kevin De Bruyne is is one of the best things I can do with my life with my time on this planet right now. He mm. does everything I like and was taught about football very very well. Uh, he does the simple things very well. He does the 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 brilliant things very simply. Left foot, right foot, no backlift shots. Doesn't really do flicks or tricks. Just does amazing work. He presses, he harries, even when they're 3-0 up against Swansea. I want to call him a playground footballer, but playground footballers normally indicate that they're really like tricksy. I think he's like a just the big he's the Tim Duncan, the big fundamental. Um interesting comparison. Uh yeah. I I I I I am a massive fan of Kevin De Bruyne, and I'm so glad that Marino did sell him because I don't think <laughs> Kevin De Bruyne I don't think Kevin De Bruyne at Chelsea would be anywhere near this good. Yeah, um, I was I was about to bring up that point. I was about to ask you, like, what do you text every time Manchester United are losing? Fuck off, Jose. <laughs> That's what I feel like when I look at those two. Obviously, as you say, they wouldn't have developed into those players had they remained at Chelsea, right? Uh, Salah needed to go to Fiorentina and then go to Roma in order to become the player he is now. And he needed Klopp's um, system um, in order to get the best out of him. Uh, De Bruyne needed to go to Wolfsburg and then to City and then needed Guardiola. Like I feel like it's they're very particular in those ways. But especially De Bruyne, if if you look at the first two games, I believe of Mourinho's tenure at, at Chelsea when he mm-hmm. came back the second time, De Bruyne started. I'm I'm forgetting the exact games, but I do remember that Kevin De Bruyne was in his starting eleven, so he definitely noticed the talent from the start. Um, Chelsea had been scouting Mohamed Salah. Mm-hmm. from Basel, like from time, not just that January window. So for us to sell them, I think we sold, well, first we loaned Salah and then sold them for like 18, I think, somewhere around yeah, there. Maybe Same thing with Kevin De Bruyne. You same, loaned same him with Kevin De Bruyne. I don't want to get into like a, a Chelsea rant here or anything like that. 
But yeah, it's just I, I look at those two and I'm like, I really wish that we would have been able to facilitate and get the best from them. Well, and I, I just look at who we have now. It's just like, you know, those players are, are better, especially when you put them closer to goal and let them do what they're best at, mm. uh, which 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 Mourinho wouldn't allow. And mm-hmm. they knew it. So they wanted to leave. And, you know, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm usually happy for people who take their career into their own hands. So I'm looking this like very selfishly as a Chelsea supporter, but I shouldn't. Like they did what was best for them. They went, they got their money, they got their plan time, and now they're getting their, you know, just rewards. So credit to them for realizing the situation they were in and improving their career because you only have a finite amount of seasons and amount of time that yeah. you can play football. So credit to them for knowing their situation and living their best life. It's one of those things where you, you realize the difference between real life football and football manager and FIFA. Legally, you right. cannot, it, while it would have been nice to keep Lukaku, Salah, and De Bruyne at Chelsea, you also got to bear in mind you cannot hoard yeah. real life talent in the same way you can do in FIFA. These players have hopes and dreams and, and lives they want to live. And speaking of whoa, 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 speaking of FIFA, quickly, every time someone says they're homesick, why don't they go home? <laughs> like Ed, Ed Hazard's like, yo, Daniel, I'm feeling homesick, but then he never goes to the Belgium League. Real Madrid always want to offer like 130 million, 140. Like FIFA needs to fix that. Like when when I come to power, I'm the first thing I'm gonna do is fix FIFA career mode. Okay. But yeah. Um Netflix Champions League. All right, we were talking Salah, so we might as well start with uh, Liverpool Roma. How are you feeling about this one? I'm less confident now after watching Liverpool draw two all with Sir Darren Moore's West Bromwich album. Shout out Darren Moore, by the way. Like points against Liverpool, points against Man- a win against Manchester United. Like yeah. maybe if they had uh Got rid of Alan Pardew a bit earlier. Maybe he could do something. He could have done Maybe. something for them. Uh, but, I mean, the, the current odds have, I don't want to say Ian Dowie. I want to say Mick McCarthy. Mick McCarthy as a possible person to, to take over West Bromwich Album when they go into the, the championship. But <sighs> Darren Moore's stated his case very, very well. He seems to, if you, you know what, I, I, watch his, I watch his press conferences and he's too nice. He needs to be like, this is me doing this. Shit. I don't know why y'all keep hiring these. Broke managers, like, you see what I'm doing? Give me the job. But he's, like, he's very nice. He's very calm. He's very chill. He's not trying to rock the boat or anything like that. He should be like, nah, this is me. I'm doing this. And then maybe well, people would be like, oh, yeah, maybe. The, so the interesting thing about football management is that you can get quite far by simply being some, well, in, in the same way of business, is that you can get quite far in life by simply being not the other person, you know? So everything good Darren Moore does will be credited to him and anything bad West Bromwich Adam do will just be, ah, well, you know, Pardew already doomed them. Fruits of um, Pardew's poisonous tree. <laughs> uh, but the point I was making was basically Liverpool looked shaky on the Rondon, who is a not very good target man. And Roma have Eden Dzeko, who is a very good target man. Mm. Um, obviously, they, you know, Liverpool didn't play with, Firmino didn't start and they didn't play with their first choice fullbacks. But I am less confident for Liverpool sewing this game up um first legs at Anfield if Liverpool can keep it can keep Dzeko quiet and keep if Liverpool can stop Rome from scoring they're going through I am less confident of them doing that now I've seen Rondon bully their centre-backs how do you feel I have been paying slight attention to how Liverpool fans are perceiving this game just ones on on Twitter ones in real life they they feel really really confident from what I can tell that they're going to the final I'm on that not so fast my friend kind of vibe like this Roma team are really 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 good uh we've been talking about how you know Klopp is the perfect manager to play Pep Guardiola I think you said it last week it just brings chaos he, he uses chaos as a factor with which to beat Pep Guardiola right mm-hmm. so if we know that Klopp system is the perfect system to play Guardiola should Liverpool fans really be that guest off beating Manchester City and using that same guess if you will and applying it to Roma, who play nothing like Manchester City. It feels like the confidence mm-hmm. they have in beating Manchester City is like, yo, we beat the champions of England, ergo, we beat Roma. No. No. I don't think Liverpool fans are reading it that way. They, they do, because if you ask them who, who, who have Liverpool beaten as compared to who have Roma beaten, Roma beat Atletico, I believe. They beat Chelsea. They've beaten Shakhtar, and they've beaten Barcelona. You ask who have Liverpool played, maybe Porto. Maribor, I'm, I'm forgetting who all they played, but Manchester City is the big feather in their cap. Like, look, like we beat them. But I'm like, you're the perfect team to beat that team. Roma's yeah. not going to give you space. 
I don't want to say perfect team. They're a good, they're a well-designed team to beat Manchester City. You know, to use a basketball analog, some teams are better suited to defeating the Warriors than others. But that doesn't mean that makes you only good for that one reason. I think Liverpool have a very good squad. I think they've, they did, they sorted out the defence. They've got maybe the best attacking three in Europe this season. Which means everyone should be scared of them because they have that well that great attacking three. Yeah, their their midfield, their centre midfield is a bit workhorse like rather than glamour. But Liverpool have reasons to be confident, and I think they should go into that tie as the favourites. I would not say overwhelming favourites. Do you know what? Um, I actually I, I think it's dangerous for for Liverpool fans to almost give Roma the underdog mentality. I don't think that's wise. I feel like Roma that's a place where they're comfortable. And like it's us against the world. You kind of foster that mentality in a team like that, and they become even more dangerous. I feel like they, it shouldn't be Liverpool. We're gonna win like three one on aggregate or whatever the case may be. Like I feel like you should be a little bit cautious of this team who's beating Barcelona. <laughs> like Klopp's and go- and and you have to go to the Stadio Olimpico in the second leg. Klopp will not let Liverpool be complacent going into this game. For of his happy smiling mentality, I don't. Th- Jurgen Klopp is not a play, a man who lets teams go complacent into big games. Oh, they can finish games complacent, and that's the risk. Like Liverpool are prone to shipping late goals because they switch off a little bit, but that's because they're knackered and they've got mental fatigue. I don't think this is going to be a game where Roma catch Liverpool napping at the start. I think this is a game where if Roma do get something, it's going to be they're going to they snap a away goal in a post seventy fifth minute. Um, but that's that. How are you feeling about Bayern versus Real Madrid? I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I, I just I just want a good game. I just don't want any red cards. I don't want the referee to lose his mind. Just I just I just want a good game. This is something I'm gonna watch to enjoy it, not to analyze it. I mean the first legs in Bayern, I feel like that's advantage Bayern, although Real Madrid played better on the road. So Real Madrid fans tell me. It's just a game that I hope is good that's not ruined by the referee in that way. Yeah. I I I think Bayern are the are the favorites out of all four teams in the Champions League left I think Bayern are the best one because Bayern has the best manager mm-hmm. and the most personnel options I think Bayern can attack you in four or five different ways whereas Real Madrid Liverpool and Roma can only hurt you in two or three not to say that those two or three methods are more or less effective than Bayern's four or five but I just think if Bayern can hit you with more options Bayern are going to get there if you look at how Allegri completely done Pochettino in the second leg by making one substitute, and then by the time Spurs had adapted, he made another substitute and changed the game even further. So that's Juve doing it with their players. If you can imagine Yup being able to do that with four or five different players, you know, you play a lot of it. Where's he going to play? He's going to be a DM, he's going to be a CM, he's going to be a centre-back, he's going to be a full-back. And then same thing with Kimmich. But that's, I'm, I'm going for Bayern in this one. If only because it's really funny if I keep going against Real Madrid every single time and they win it. <laughs> um, from from what I've seen of, of Bayern, I think you kind of have to stop their wide players. And I'm curious to see how Real Madrid line up, whether if they go 4-3-3 three, three, or if they go 4-4-2. Four, four, that way they can kind of double up on the flanks. Because from what I've heard from from Bayern Munich fans, rather, Ribéry's playing really well. And I'm curious to see how that happens. I wish Hap Hope was here so he could talk about Robin. I'm sure he like but it, so he wants to talk about it, Robin. It, and and then you have those fullbacks, as you mentioned, whether it's Alaba, Kimmich, whomever. This and this is going to be kind of the, the the tacticalness of it. Like, is the game going to be played out wide or is it going to be played in the midfield? And that's kind of what I'm going to be looking it, for in the first few minutes. That's your point. If if you start buying out wide, they still have someone like Thiago. Can get you exactly. Exactly. So, so that, that, that's that. That's why I'm curious as to what Zidane's going to do in that way. But like I said, I don't watch them enough to know. <laughs> now let's talk about the FA Cup semi-finals. I know we don't normally talk about FA Cup action too often because <sighs> we call them uh, mailbag weeks. But <laughs> we disrespect the FA Cup on this podcast. I think uh, the big discussion here, you know, is did Tottenham Hotspur bottle it? Uh, yeah, they took the lead and then they lost 2-1. I mean, I don't know what else to call it. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's getting increasingly... Difficult to defend Pochettino's record? Yeah. To defend his methods. So he Pochettino was very public saying the FA Cup is... It would not change our lives if he won a trophy. If he won the FA Cup, we're aiming for the Premier League or the Champions League. And they didn't, they didn't feel the weakened side. 
but you do wonder if Pochettino is beginning to undermine some of the yeah. progress he's done in the last four years. Um, the point, the the comment I made after the Juventus game was that Tottenham Hotspur went from having disappointing results against West Bromwich Albion at home to getting disappointing results against the Champions League, the former Champions League finalists in Juventus. They have progressed loads, but it is becoming increasingly untenable if they don't have silverware. This season, uh, a lot of football writers commented that this season looked like to be the first season where Tottenham Hotspur haven't noticeably improved. And you know, you look at it, they, you know, their two first team fullbacks, Danny Rose is injured and otherwise has his head turned. Carl Walker goes off to Manchester City. Their best centre-back, Toby Anderweireld, was injured for large parts of the season and now isn't playing because of contract disputes. Uh, Victor Wanyama has been injured for large parts of the season and hasn't quite kicked on. Deli Ali is having a, I don't say a bad season, just an odd one. He's 21. He's playing like a 21-year-old. He's inconsistent. Um, Christian Eriksen can only, he's amazing, but he can only really do so much. And Harry Kane looks like a man who's rushed back from injury and has absolutely knackered ankle ligaments. You do wonder, at some point, something's got to give. And this is the very first time where I've gen- like, believed that, oh, no. Because last, you know, last season I went, oh, Wembley won't be that big of a deal. They'll still be there or thereabouts. But if Chelsea get whatever manager to sort out the Chelsea, and if Arsenal get whatever manager to sort out the Arsenal, Tottenham Hotspur could drop out of that top four, and then it gets real dangerous. I was I was talking with someone, and we were having a discussion about how the FA the the, the only trophies that matter in an English context are if you're a top club are the Premier League, right? And the Champions League. And I was trying to convey to this person that if you're Tottenham, you have to include any trophy in there because they haven't won one since 2007, mm-hmm. right? The League Cup since 2007. And he was trying to say, you know, it's not a big deal if Tottenham don't win the FA Cup because the FA Cup isn't a big trophy. I was trying to t- any trophy at this point for Tottenham is a big trophy. It doesn't matter if it's a Worthington Cup just Mickey Mouse Cup, as Mourinho would call them, like just something to validate well, very having a good season. Very they, interesting. They, they need that. that. The the League Cup has been Mourinho's bread and butter for a while now. Mourinho is almost the inverse to to Pochettino in terms of. So Pochettino is very much trophies do not signify my progress within the club. What what is a great signifier is the players and the personnel. Whereas Mourinho very much is, I'm going to get as many shiny pots as possible. And when people go, how well are you as a manager? He just points to his shiny pots. You know, mm. This is a man who told his players to put up three fingers after Europa League victory as if the Community <laughs> Shield was a title. You know, This is a man who took the FA Cup, final, ver- FA Cup semi-final very seriously because he believes that winning trophies is paramount. Mourinho has made repeated statements both at Chelsea, his time at Chelsea and at Manchester United, about the power of the League Cup. That if you can win that, that can give you an extra boost going into the final weeks of the season because you already have that, huh, we're starting winning things already. And Pep Guardiola made comments about the power of the League Cup just after his victory, going, this is my very first trophy with Manchester City. It's still a um, ridiculous trophy that shouldn't be played. But how, how do you feel Manchester United did in, in this FA Cup game? I didn't watch it. I, I I can't watch Man United games right now due to my just general anger at Mourinho. So I didn't. <laughs> you missed didn't, a good comeback. I didn't watch it live. Give him credit. Mourinho does know how to get a, to grind out a victory when when he needs one. So that's you, that's wins from behind against Chelsea, Liverpool, Manchester City, and Tottenham Hotspur in I feel like a six week period. Yeah, like a month in a while. Um, yeah. Do I, I still think his football is dated and very, very annoying. I still very much think his football is very much, I'm going to assemble the biggest bruisers, biggest, most talented bruisers and let them figure out. But, you know, he can organise a defence. And Chris Smalling and Phil Jones, apparently, well, I was, I've seen the highlights. Chris Smalling and Phil Jones managed to handle Harry Kane. Um, so, well done. Uh, how are you feeling as a Chelsea fan after your semi-final? Um... <laughs> Okay, not great, I guess is a way to put it. I expected to beat Saints. I mean, they didn't really put up much of a challenge in the league, so I was winning kind of par for the course, I guess. Um, Giroud scored a really great goal. I'm, I'm warming up to Giroud as a striker and just generally as a, as a presence. But Morata, boy, it seems he can only score with his head, and I'm not sure having a striker who's only useful with his head is something great in terms of looking forward, um, especially if... 
Chelsea are trying to bring better football to to Stamford Bridge in the coming seasons. Like if we're gonna be playing like four four three three, like keeping the ball on the ground, I'm not sure how Aspilicueta crosses spam to the head of <laughs> Alvaro Morata are going to be is going to be a useful strategy. At at the, at the moment, it feels like a FIFA glitch mm-hmm. that after people watch it for maybe a season or two, they'll be able to like put a patch in and it'll fix it in that way. So I don't know how much longer that can last, especially if we don't play with a back three and Aspilicueta doesn't have time to put those crosses in. Mm-hmm. If we move to a back four, I don't even know if Aspilicueta plays in a back four, but that's a different conversation for a different day. Um, I'm not, I, I need to see more from Morata on the ground. There was, he had a big miss. I forgot. Who did we play last? Burnley, I think. Horrible miss. <laughs> I'm, I, I don't think Chelsea winning an FA Cup, and maybe you kind of feel the same way with Manchester United. I don't feel winning the FA Cup means you have a successful season. It's nice. Look, it's always nice to win. Silver. It's okay. It's okay. I, like I, I'll this, take this, it, but that doesn't this, that doesn't gloss over like this. Says a lot to how we are both very. We're, spoiled. we're conditioned to winning and spoiled brats. Yeah, yes, we're both but, very spoiled brats. So this is this is <laughs> Man United like, should be challenging for trophies all the time. In my yeah. opinion, Man United should be going to finals and bossing it. If Mourinho's taking Manchester United from sixth to second and taking to them an FA Cup final. And it's not bad. But, it's not bad. But all the underlying numbers show that the team is under underachieving based on how much money we have, based on like the stats as to how many goals, how many shots we're taking, and how many shots we're not conceding. Uh, like our defense is broken and relies on David De Gea to frequently bail us out. Mm. Uh, our attack is rarely coherent, and <laughs> a lot is being a lot is being asked of Paul Pogba and Romelu Lukaku. But if we end the season, well, we are going to end the season in second place and we end it with an FA Cup win, I will be. Exactly. Exactly. You don't have a good word to put, like, kind of happy, I'm, but not really. I'm parting. <laughs> so there you are. Yeah, there you are. Uh, yeah. Quick prediction. Who do you think going to win? I don't I know. know read, I don't. I have no idea. I have no idea. Plus, I, I never picked Chelsea to win anything. So I don't know. I don't know. I, I, Who do you think needs it more? I think Antonio Conte needs it more if only to validate. Like you say, you went from sixth to second. Chelsea have gone from first to fifth. Mm. Um, Champions League campaign wasn't that great. Yeah, I think I think Conte needs it more if only to maybe give him a little bit of confidence and say, look, I can still win things. Plus, I, I think if you look at his record in cup competitions, it's not great. Mourinho's is superb. Yeah, right. I, I, th- I think Conte needs it more, but that doesn't mean he's going to get it. <laughs> um so that's that's all the big stuff so yeah let's 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 do questions and then we can get out of here napoli keep the title race on from yes. aman shin axon so that's what you want us to talk about we're gonna we're gonna hit it yo i watched the game i took a nap for maybe <laughs> 40 minutes and then i woke up with like 70 minutes to go and it was still nil nil and i was like okay napoli you guys have to score and then it gets to like 75 and then 85. And I kind of turned the screw a bit, but I'm like, okay, Ju- Juventus is still uh, going to hold on here. And then they get a corner. Callahan puts it in. And then you just see like a big six foot five Senegalese man just put this bullet header past Buffon. And I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> Napoli have done it. I'm like, what the hell is going on here? Um, it it would have been, I think, a, still a four point gap if it was a draw. If Juventus win, it goes seven points, and that's basically the league done. Napoli got it back to a point, and if you've seen the video that's going on in Naples, like those people are insane. <laughs> also, very it, crucially, it, it's it's almost as if they won the league. Like I'm seeing fireworks, I'm seeing people jumping in ponds. Like I I don't know, but it was a really really exciting match. I'm happy for Koulibaly. It was just a a, a good match. I'm curious what happens if Chiellini doesn't get injured um in the first twenty minutes there. Um, mm-hmm. whether he has, you know, the guile or what have you to mark someone on a corner or whether that, or whether the game plays out the way it does. But, you know, I'm happy that at least in one league, there's a title race going on. Yep. That's Something fun. that the thing you have to keep bringing up is the fact that Napoli's running is relatively calm while Juventus, Juventus have, have to, to play to Roma and Inter, yeah. Away from home. Oh, really? Both of those games are away from home. So it's not quite advantage Napoli. But it's it's momentum, Napoli. Um, Our friend Double H contends that the league is done. I think he's just sticking to his talking point that he's had from the beginning. 
I think it would be really cool for Napoli to win the to win the Serie A. Like, I think I think I think there's a lot of people in 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 if the football sphere who would like Napoli to win. Diego Maradona was seen posing with a Kuwabali shirt after the game, <laughs> and, and yeah, Napoli haven't won the league since Maradona was there. Yeah. At, whereas Juventus are going for a seventh title. Um, in one of our recommended reads today, this week. It's an article by Wright Thompson from ESPN, and it's sincerely one of the best things I've read in football writing this season. It's phenomenal. Do you like um, Wright Thompson? Like, do you read him often? No, I. The last thing I read before that one was his piece about Tiger Woods, which again was phenomenal and one of the best things I've ever read. That guy can write. The bit he does mention is that the fact that half of Italy loves Juventus, half of Italy absolutely hates Juventus because. Mm-hmm. Juventus always seem to be the the all-conquering, incredibly lucky referee bribing juggernaut. But, you know, that, that said, Napoli is hardly uh, a club that has covered themselves in glory. You've got to bear in mind that Napoli is a club that their head office had to release a statement to the people of Naples, which more or less said, could you please stop robbing the wives and girlfriends of Napoli players? Because it's making it, <laughs> cause it's making it harder for us to keep them. But, you know, that's Naples. Naples is a fascinating city. Loads of graffiti, loads of stray dogs, and loads of what I'm contractorily obligated to say, fiery people. Yeah, I, I, I want Naples to win, purely because... The story of it all. Yeah. Somebody needs to break the monotony. Like it would, it, 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 would, it, would, it would be cool if Dortmund won the league. It was cool when Monaco won, won the league last year in, in League uh When Atletico won it in 2013-14, I believe. Like, that was great. Um, so yeah, it'd be cool for Serie A to kind of have its turn. Um, mm. and Napoli, I, the, the football they play deserves it. It's um, fantastic. But as football. I say, I hate the word deserve. Like you deserve what you get. You don't deserve <laughs> what people think you get. So, and sorry, I mean, did you see him flip off the the Juve fans? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, sorry I want is... this guy at Chelsea. I want this guy at Chelsea. I feel like he's like a cooler content. Sorry is sorry is the guy you want to be as a football manager, right? Because yeah. that guy smoking he, cigarettes, like he well, his career in football is relatively short. This is a guy who had a civilian job and then decided he wants to get into football and he's now doing that. And he's playing I think the greatest uh, you know, Pep Gallo said Napoli is the hardest opponent we've had all season. That team plays ridiculous football. Yeah, City beat them and it looked quite comprehensive, but yeah, I just really like Napoli. Super duper mode mode YV2 asks which manager would be most likely to get Arsenal relegated if he took over? My guess would be Alan Pardew. Who would Mark Hughes? I guess right. <laughs> uh, Mark Hughes is going. If we're going to go by relegated. percentages, like he's got yeah. two teams relegated in the same season. Um, speaking of relegation, we can get through these. Um, Boris Mason asks thoughts on Sunderland catching back-to-back relegations. Is there a worse team to support right now? <laughs> And how different do you think things would have been had Big Sam stayed with them back in 2016? And Dominic Bennett asked, do you think any of the three established Premier League teams that are currently in the bottom three would slash will fall apart in the championship, seeing as each team has quite a number of talented players that definitely won't settle for championship football? Uh, speaking of Mike Goodman earlier in the podcast, um, I, I, I don't, I don't want to misquote him or his tweet. And he was basically like Sutherland being relegated back-to-back and kind of the regularity of teams being relegated back-to-back. I'm not sure how frequently it happens, but it happens frequently enough. He said it it speaks probably more to the strength of the championship than anything else. And I tend to agree with him. Mm. Um, in, in, In that, going from the Premier League, which has like generally good scheduling, it's only 38 games. And then you go down a league and you play 46 games and there's a game Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday. Like, I feel like it's maybe a culture shock for a lot of those players and you can go down and then down again. And I feel like there there might be something to that. Yes and no. If you're getting back-to-back relegations, that's there's there's something rotten at your club in the <laughs> running of your club. Um, I would say so. So the, the two, two points I'm going to make here. Sunderland got relegated this weekend after they conceded a goal to Burton out after they lost to Burton Albion. Burton the goal for Burton Albion was scored by Darren Bent of former Sunderland trade. Darren Bent scored and they never so you know it's 2011 2012 Steve Bruce is their manager their sixth place because Darren Bent just scored Darren Bent got was their top scorer 
Asimo Jean's their second top scorer. They've got Jordan Henderson. They've got Mignolet in goal. And then Darren Bent goes for 24 million to Aston Villa. Mm-hmm. Asimo Jean decides he wants to play the rest of his career out in the golf. In, no, 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 no. In... He wants to play the rest of his career for cash, okay? Okay. <laughs> Not the golf, for cash. No, okay. Uh, he plays there, and, and then it's, it's just a, a series of penny pinching. So their their owner, Ellis Short, has been trying to sell something for several years. He's been trying to sell it on the cheap. He has something of the Mike Ashley's about him, where he went from going, let's buy good marquee players and support our managers, to let's see if we can buy 2 million, 3 million signings from Eastern Europe, uh, the Middle East, and areas of Africa who are under the age of 25 with high resale value. And it didn't work. You have a, what happened was you had a lot of players there who aren't at Sunderland because they like Sunderland or particularly have any affinity for the club, but are simply there to be put in the shop window. And their method of get a manager, he keeps you up. He stays there for a bit longer. You look like you're going to get relegated. Fire him, get another manager. He keeps you up. It says a lot to their short-termism and their year zeroism. Um, there's that very interesting quote from Gus Poy a couple of seasons ago, where he goes, there's something very bad at the heart of Sunderland, where he basically said there's essentially a disease at the football club. And this is, you know, based on short-termism, based on the fact that their owner wanted to sell up for years. And, and, and they stopped caring. The club stopped caring. Darren Gibson got caught for drink driving this season, and it's just been recently fined. And Darren Gibson, while drunk, said that people at Sunderland don't care. They don't care if they get relegated again into League One. They say they don't care about the club whatsoever. I've heard reports from a very well-respected football journalist that a certain mem- a certain player there on very good wages can be found in Sunderland just in the betting shop, just putting money into a roulette machine. That's what he does these days. He's not a trainer, he's just doing that. You've got a lot of players there on exorbitant wages. So uh, Jack Rodwell, former Everton next big thing goes to Manchester City gets ruined by injuries ends up at Sunderland before his contract got terminated at Sunderland he was on £70,000 a week which is frankly ridiculous for playing in the championship for a club that flirted with relegation so often the idea that so many of these players didn't have relegation release clauses or a way to shift them and shift their wage bills was remarkable um, and now Chris Coleman's in charge. Uh, the rumour is Chris Coleman was there for four times the wage that he was when he was the Wales manager. Um, and Coleman seems okay with going down to League One. It very much looks like they're going to purge all of the ill will and all of the reckless spending and actually try and retrench and, and make a comeback back to to the Premier League. But for all intents and purposes, they've done a lead. And now we'll see what happens next. The Gowan 69 asks, what would be a viable alternative to FFP which allows weaker teams the ability to gain ground on the household name powerhouse teams over time? I have a few ideas myself, but I wanted to hear your take on it. I, I think we've kind of talked ad nauseum about just caps. I, I feel like instead of how financial fair play works where however much money you make is the money you spend, da da da. I think that just keeps the status quo the status quo. I feel like in order to get lesser named, not household named teams, as you say, the wherewithal to kind of compete on a bigger stage, you would have to give them the permission to spend a lot of money, but then also kind of limit or just just put a cap on how much the powerhouse teams can spend. Um, and I feel like that could work if we say just some team in the the French league that got bought by some millionaire, they want to make it. Uh, a new powerhouse, then hey, you you get to spend your two hundred million, but you can't spend nothing more than two hundred million in a year or something like that. So that way they get to do it, but they can't go too too overboard. Yeah, um, either properly enforce FFP or get rid of it entirely. I, I'd be interested. FFP is useless, really. Well, 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 what? So the idea was it was meant to make sure teams only spend what they earn. But what happened was we had loads of clubs use inventive loan systems to get around it and push things back. And what happened was it stopped clubs like Malaga. Malaga got bought by a very, very uh, interesting billionaire. He buys a lot of personnel. They have that very, very good Champions League quarterfinal, semifinal rung, where only a late goal from a centre-back from Jurgen Klopp's Dortmund side puts him away. And then FFP hits, and then the Malaga owner pulled the plug and left. Mm. FFP 
is perhaps the largest reason as to why AC Milan aren't playing Champions League football anymore because FFP scared, well, not just FFP, but FFP frightened Berlusconi out of investing any more money into AC Milan. Um, yeah, bunga bunga. <laughs> Uh, either in yeah, man. It, it's either just it's just like only teams who are already established can spend big money under FFP because they're the ones who earn all the money. So it protects those teams in a sense from maybe, as you say, maybe a, a Malaga. I always go back to Monaco in that way where they were buying James Rodriguez, they were buying Matinho, they were buying all these players. I think Condogbia at one time. Like they were buying all those players and they were setting up to kind of try to challenge PSG in kind of a financial doping way. And then financial fair play hits, their owner has to go through a huge divorce, and then they have to kind of rejig things. Yeah. And they bring in Lewis Campos, they bring in um, uh, just a, a different philosophy, and they start picking up young talent instead. They go like the cheap option. They, they bought Falcao as well. So you kind of have the remnants of that, but then you also have Mbappe, Silva, uh, Bakayoko, Mendy, uh, Sidibe, um, Thomas Lamar, like young talent that they fostered and were kind of groomed in that way. Uh, that, 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 that wouldn't have had the time had they gone the kind of mega financial doping route. And then they won the league from it. So mm. there, there, there are ways to, to kind of around so, but, so, but you need the money in order to hire someone like Campos who has like proprietary technology and can find stars of the future, if you will. And you also have to say Monaco have historically had a very good academy. You yes. Know, Monaco is where Henri started. So this is true. This is true. Uh, I'd, I'd be interested to see if we could have a hard limit on transfer windows. Obviously that's not possible. Or if you could have a, a version of the 50 plus one rule that's in Germany, but then the 50 plus one rule is being flouted by whatever's going on in the Red Bull clubs. So you can't, time's arrow only moves forward. You cannot undo capitalism. We're going to have to have a serious conversation in the next two or three years about how we can continue to justify enjoying top 1% football because it's becoming morally hard and harder for me to justify it. And that's me, well, that's, that's like a sidestep, but it, it's becoming a lot harder for me to justify morally watching and enjoying some of the football I enjoy watching. In what way? Where does Manchester City get their money from? Where does PSG get their money from? Um, this when we went, you know, this records on a Monday. Um, this is going to go out on Tuesday. It just got announced that Qatar Airways is going to be Roma's shirt sponsor today. And I saw it. I went, oh, gross, because Qatar Airways is. I I, I want to choose my words very carefully here. <laughs> uh, Qatar Airways is not your conventional airline. Air, airline. It's. Uh, government funded soft power tool um it, it's it's very hard for me to to increasingly justify my enjoyment of football when you have the carabao cup and how every single league draw is hello we blah, blah, blah. we'd like to send our thanks and hellos to the people of thailand right now and also our condolences for them and their of national mourning in thailand because xyz i'm like is this okay who's the powerful person here is it carabao and their money funding a league cup or is it us trying to take advantage of moving to emerging markets but you know if you can sleep at night right now enjoying football because of, because of what good for you it's getting harder for me to enjoy it what, what what about how do you feel about international football i mean we have a question coming up about the, actually you know what let's ask this now it might go in there uh musa keita asks why do african teams always have money disputes at the world cup should players even get bonuses for playing for their country to begin with um the, the one I remember most, unfortunately, Carl, uh, yeah, <laughs> is uh, is you guys from, from 2014 where, was it John Boye, perhaps, who was yeah. caught kissing the brick of money? People want money. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how else to put it. Like playing if, for your... if You're doing a job. Football is a job, and you should be paid for it. But there is a sense that playing for your national team should be pride more than it should be some sort of business transaction slash engagement like you should want to, to play for your country for free what? I, I i don't necessarily subscribe to that, that philosophy is or idea but but people do, do you know what it is it's people who are patriots and I, I even get this with like club football in a way like you love your club or you love your country so much as a fan that what you would do for your club or country you feel like everyone should have that same level of expectation so me like i would play for chelsea for free 
like I wouldn't, but that's someone's idea. So then when there's a contract dispute between X player and X club, you're like, well, I would do this. So why aren't you doing that? But you don't understand the dynamic or maybe you don't understand or you just don't care about the dynamic of, look, I'm a professional. This is what I do. And I deserve to be paid for what I do. It's like nobody goes to work at McDonald's for the love of McDonald's. I don't even want to say McDonald's, just something you love. Like if let's say you love being an architect, you're not just going to, oh, I love designing things for the love of designing things. And I want to do it for free. Like, no, you want your money. And I feel like once you establish that kind of idea in football, it makes sense to where players would carry that from club football to international teams. Now, of course, you're going to have some players who will play for the shirt, for the love of the game, for this and that. But, you know, by and large, I think most players who play football come from poor areas. They're not just playing for themselves. They're playing for their families, for extended family. You need money. There's a reason why all these Brazilians and South Americans and Africans are going to get that bag in China. They're, they're, they're not playing for themselves only. They're playing for other larger things. Also, you could say they're playing for greed or whatever the case may be, but I don't see it as that big of a deal that people want money for what they do. Although, ideally, I would like it if less times it was African teams who had these situations, shall we say. Yeah, that works for me. All right. Half Hope isn't here, so there's only one Chelsea fan, Blue Lion. Um, I just wanted to know, how did you guys feel when Chelsea were robbed by Barcelona in 2009 and how long did it take you to recover from that injustice? I like that you think I've recovered. Um, I haven't. I haven't recovered. <laughs> I got home from. I, I was taking a psychology class. It was maybe eleven to twelve. A guy called Richie. I got home. Michael Essien scores like a great goal within the first 25, 30 minutes in there somewhere. Um. And I'm actually thinking, you know what? We just might be Barcelona. And then PK pulls down Anelka or Maluda. I think Abidal pulls down Drogba. There's a handball that PK had on Anelka. Um, Drogba falls down again. And then Iniesta scores like one of the greatest goals I think I've ever seen, considering the circumstance. He takes off his shirt. He does his helicopter thing with it. Um, we go down the end of the pitch. I, th- I forget who shoots. Might have been Balak. Eto puts his arm up. It hits the underside of his arm. Clear handball. Um, Balak chases after the referee. <laughs> I throw my the television remote, which wasn't mine at the time. I had to buy a new one with my own money. Um, <laughs> my, my parents were really, really mad at me. We lose the game. I remember PK going to the Barcelona fans at the end of Stanford Bridge. One hand in the air, one like another one, just jumping up and down, celebrating. I remember <laughs> Drogba, you know, it's a disgrace. It's a fucking disgrace. Like, I remember just about every moment of that game. I don't, like, some of the moments blend together. I haven't got over it because we had Manchester United uh, coming up. And after the way we lost the Champions League final in Moscow, this was almost going to be a revenge final. And I was really hopeful that if we could get to the Champions League final, Maybe we can get revenge and win the Champions League. And to lose that way where people save five penalties, two of them are weak. I don't think Maluda was in the box. Drugba flopped once. But we definitely should have. The PK handball was one. The Eto handball was one. And I, you can maybe make an argument for Drogba being fouled. To get not one of those, it's the most mad I think I've ever been in football in my life. I don't think I'm ever going to get that angry again. I, like I said, I still haven't recovered from it. Even after winning it in 2012, I still feel, I don't know, just a sense of injustice, robbery, rage. Uh, I don't know. It's just it's just a really, really bad feeling. Maybe I'm rambling too long. But what made it worse is the way Barcelona beat United in the final. It's like, ugh, so this is what United did? I mean, we could have played you guys? Like, Chelsea's journey in the Champions League is very, very annoying. I feel like Liverpool and you guys have two Champions Leagues that we should have. Um. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yeah, I don't know, man. I'm never going to get over that game. So I'm sorry, Carl, you had to sit through that. But, yeah. No, my recollection was I was at a friend's house and I had some money on the tie being decided by away goals. So I had won £110. And I was very, very... Uh, quiet 
when the goal went in because I didn't want to gloat. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there are at least four clear penalty incidences, and of the of those four clear penalty incidences, I think you should have at least got two. But you know, sometimes it's just not your time, and I really think that in in hindsight, Barcelona were the best team in Europe that season. No, no, they weren't. They were, man. Like just because you got when I was younger, I thought oh, in the final, like when I was younger, I keep I used to think, oh, if Manchester United had got if Ferguson had got the lineup right and they played Tevez instead, and uh, if we had blah blah blah, but no, we were nowhere near close. Like Barcelona were phenomenal that year because and they needed cheating referees in order to get to the Champions League finals. So hey, do your thing. Right, recommended reads. There's there's a lot of them because there's been a lot. How many do you have? I have seven. I think seven. Uh, they all t- they okay. all t- tip into the uh, basically all the top topics of uh, podcast. So one on just quickly, Carl. Quickly, I'm sorry. Life and career of Arsene Wenger from the Guardian. Uh, one on the the Rory Smith New York Times about Pochettino and what's going on at Spurs. One on Sunderland's fall from grace and how basically no one seems to care anymore. Uh, Champions League reads for you. There's a great interview with Kevin Strootman and a great interview with Jurgen Klopp. Uh, very interesting about Jurgen Klopp is he mentions his feelings towards Brexit. So check that out. Uh, Joshua Kimmich has a great one in The Guardian as well about how he doesn't want to be called Philip Lahm 2. He wants to be Kimmich 1. Um, and the one I mentioned before about the last days of Juventus from Wright Thompson, which I think is just the best thing, one of the best things I've read all season. So they should all be in there. They've all been dropped in one of our group chats. So Daniel should sort you out. But other than that, that makes episode 95. I was just reading up on the game. <laughs> I know, I know. Sorry, I'm sorry. I was just reading up on Chelsea Barcelona again. Um, yeah, this is the Talking Texas podcast. Remember, all the links to Carl's recommended reads are in the description of the podcast with a, with a short link. So... Uh, you don't have to go look them up individually. They're there for you. Um, remember to follow us individually. I'm at Daniel to look. Carl's at Anchorman616. Half Hope is at Half Hope Hub. He didn't show up, but uh, you know it is what it is. Um, collectively, we are at Talking Tactics. Remember to leave those Apple Podcast reviews. I'm going to plug this one last time. If you haven't listened to our Talking Tactics special, Coup de Tet, the story of Zenadine Zedan in the World Cup, that is either in your iTunes feed, wherever you listen to podcasts, uh, it's there or it's on our SoundCloud page so please go listen to that if you already have it um, Talking Texas Podcast sometimes funny, sometimes serious always football indeed, see you next week, peace Sports Social Podcast Network